Hi there, my name is Lindsay Weirich and you're listening to the Frugal Crafter Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today we're going to talk about archivability and how long our art and craft work might last under certain conditions and how much we should worry about that. So generally you'll hear the term light fast or archival when you're looking at fine art. It may be the paper you're working with. It may be the paints that you're working with. And um, essentially we want our work to last as long as possible. We don't want to paint on surfaces that will turn yellow and brittle. We don't want to create something that's going to end up crumbling apart in the future. But have you ever thought about that with your craft work and how important is it really? So those are some of the topics that we're going to talk about today. I love to use a variety of media. I like to use experimental media and I like to work in a sketchbook. And so for me, if I'm working in a sketchbook, I am not going to be as concerned with whether my materials are light fast or not. Now, light fast refers to how long a color can retain its vibrancy without changing or fading or darkening. And generally, that information can be found on any tube of paint that you have or on a manufacturer's website. Some products are very difficult to get high light fastness in, and some products are fairly easy. Oil paint, acrylic paint, those materials are a little bit better uh, and more durable because they have a viscous binder that protects the pigment particles and they're often varnished and just protected a little bit better. When you're working with things like color pencil and watercolor and markers, those are supplies that are used on paper. Paper is just generally a little more fragile. And also a lot of the colorants in these products can be prone to fading. So it's really important if you want to sell work that you want to guarantee is going to last, you know, 50, 100 years, you want to make sure you're using the products that are going to achieve that. So if you're working with colored pencils, you would want to work with, say, the Derwent Lightfast pencils. Um, you would want to work with Carandosh Luminance, or you could use Polychromos and cherry pick the colors that have the higher light fastness. It's um, it's discouraging if you do spend a lot of time working on something only to find the results fade over time. With watercolor, again, you want to look at the light fast rating on the tube. I generally look for tubes of watercolor that carry the ASTM light fastness ratings. That is an American company that tests art materials. And you want to look specifically for the light fast ratings. ASTM has a bunch of different ratings, uh, some for toxicity. Um, but you want the light fastness ratings and it's generally in a, a scale of one to three, which are considered artist products. And they can range from permanent, which is 50 to 100 years, um, fair, which is 25 to 50 years and poor, which would be like um, 10 to 25 or zero to 10. Anyway, you'd want to keep it in the higher end of that. And you also want to keep in mind that when they're rating those, they are putting them in the parameters of museum conditions. So that's not hanging on your living room wall in front of a big bay window. That's going to fade faster. They are talking about um, no natural light, low dim museum conditions, and also museum framing. So framing with an acid-free mat behind glass. So there is, um, there's a certain amount of responsibility on the owner of the artwork to make sure that it is framed and displayed properly in order to achieve those light fast results. So if you do a colored pencil drawing with Derwent Light Fast and you sell it to somebody and they 
tack it up on their wall in direct sunlight with um, with no frame, no protection. You've got environmental pollutants. All sorts of things can destroy that painting, even though you use the most light fast paper and paints. So paint, uh, when you're talking about paper, um, archival paper, you are looking for a couple of things. Generally, you want 100% cotton because that is going to be the material that will degrade the least. There's also acid-free paper. And usually if it just says acid-free and doesn't say um, cotton on it, it is a wood pulp based paper. And that even though it's acid free, it's been buffered with chemicals to change its pH to um, neutral, or neutral or a little more basic. But eventually that paper can break down in yellow, but it'll just take a lot longer than say newsprint or, um, you know, your general copy paper. So you just want to you know, you just want to kind of take that with a grain of salt. And if it isn't, if it is important for you for something to last a very long time, like for instance, if I'm doing a portrait of one of my children, uh, I would want that to last generations. So I would use 100% calm paper. I would use watercolors that I know to be light fast. I would use colored pencils that I know to be light fast. I would matte and frame it with archival materials and, um, and that's going to give it its best chance. Or you could wrap it in archival like glassine and you could store it in an archival portfolio, something like that to keep that uh, that painting safe. Generally, though, I am not as concerned with archivability because I don't tend to sell my original work. So I'm more um, interested in the experimentation and whatnot. And when I do sell my original work, I'm generally um, not selling it to a high-end market. I'm, my, the, my prices are quite quite low as far as um, original artwork. And I think the, I don't think the expectation would be that it would be, it would be lasting hundreds of years. For instance, you can go to TJ Maxx and buy a, a canvas painting, a framed print, something like that, you know, for $75. You're not expecting that to last you 50 years. You know, if my painting is $75, you know, I would expect it would probably, if you, if you protected it well, it would last you a very, very long time, your lifetime probably, but uh, you know, but I may have some experimental material in there, but I do disclose that when I sell it. So, uh, so that's just important to do. I would keep that in mind. If you're going to sell a painting, make sure you, you know, if there's, um, if there's any material you used, you think might break down over time, you can tell them and let them have the, take the risk whether they want to, want to buy it or not. Um, I mean, and, and in the event that you're, Artwork becomes very, very valuable in the future after you die, or even in your lifetime, museums can restore a lot of those things. So, you know, I wouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I wouldn't let uh, the fact that you might not have 100% all archival materials keep you from painting or keep you from, you know, creating your best work because most things can be restored if it does end up being that valuable in the future. There, this, this topic came to my mind because in Critique Club, a viewer had, um, a Critique Club member had said, you know, Lindsay, I, I kind of cringe when you mentioned painting with salt. Your paint, I think that's going to deteriorate your paper. I heard from another artist that said they had to repaint some works because they use salt to get a textured effect and um, it degraded the paper over time. And when I first started using salt water a few years ago, I posted an article on my blog about that. And I'll try to remember to link that in the show notes. Um, but you could just type in paint, painting with salt water on the Frugal Crafter blog and, and find that. And it was really hard to find any definitive information about whether salt water would harm your paper or not in long time, long term use. So what I did find out about salt is that salt is often used as a mordant in order to make um, laked paints permanent or laked paints adhere to both paper and fabric. It's uh, it's used to make colors uh, when you dye fabric. It's used to make the colors color fast, meaning not 
able to wash out. Um, I noticed my paints came out a lot brighter when I used salt water versus using plain tap water. And I asked a, a college um, instructor, I was taking a um, adult ed figurative painting class, and I asked him what he thought about the saltwater experiments. I was actually doing that at that time. And he actually thought it might make the painting last longer and be more light fast. So uh, there was just so much anecdotal information I could find out, but not anything um, concrete. I know some artists say they're not going to use salt on their papers because they see what it does to their uh, their driveway or their, their cement steps. And But paper is different than concrete. Paper is different than metal. Yes, salt makes metal corrode and rust, but paper isn't metal. Of course, some of your pigments are made from heavy metals, and could that salt eventually oxidize those pigments and turn them kind of crusty and, and rusty and patinaed and weird? Or maybe that would be wonderful. Who knows? So I reached out to a chemist friend of mine who has the uh, YouTube channel, The Spin Doctor, He um, and I asked him what he thought of the whole, the whole situation. If he thought the salt would degrade watercolor paper over time and he said that um that probably after a very long time but he said but in that effect if in that event if your painting was valuable it could be restored so i'm gonna put that out there as a buyer beware um be aware that it could degrade over time um, but a lot of artists use salt, either painting with salt water. That's not as common, but some will actually paint with seawater. It's kind of a gimmick. I know marine painters that will like scoop up seawater and paint with that. And that's kind of part of the selling, selling point of the art. It's part of the gimmick of it. It does make your paint granulate more and it does give you some fun special effects. Uh, it kind of softens the water a bit. And I think that makes the paint granulate more. Maybe it's just the salt addition. Uh, some people say hard water makes your paint granulate more, but I have hard water and I don't think that's the case. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think the risk personally is pretty low, but that's a risk that you need to take yourself with your art and decide whether that's something that you want to uh, uh, that you want to pursue or not. For me, I think that we put a lot of emphasis today on the product of our art and our craft and less on the process of our art and our craft. And um, I think that we, we lose a lot when we don't value our process and the playfulness and the experimentation as we do if we're just focusing on the archivability. Obviously, you know, you don't want to guarantee a painting is going to last 500 years if you've used some products that haven't been tested or some experimental products. But I don't think that's the case for most of us artists. Now, I have a, a friend who's an artist, a very talented color pencil artist, and she makes a point to use only archival materials but she also sells her work for thousands of dollars and when people buy it they're expecting a painting that's going to last a long time uh that's not going to fade that is going to you know hopefully um appreciate in value and i totally respect and understand that but for someone like me that's you know selling a painting for you know 50 60 75 dollars i think that um that part of the joy in that painting and part of the reason why somebody would want to buy it is for those experimental techniques so um something for you to think about. And um, when you're creating and if you're contemplating selling your work. So as far as crafts, maybe you're thinking about that too. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I love to, uh, I love to knit and boy, it takes a long time to make a garment. I want to make sure that's going to last. And well, you're in very good luck because if you're using acrylic yarn, that's probably going to last longer than any of us, especially if it is, um, if it's cared for. Uh, generally, acrylic yarns tend not to fade because the, uh, the yarn is actually made from strands of plastic that have been dyed. But you could obviously, you know, you'd probably be hanging that in a closet and not in bright sunlight all the time. And, um, and since it is a plastic, it's unlikely to degrade. If you're using a natural hair, such as wool or cashmere or um, angora, those do require a little more care, but with 
proper care, they should last for hundreds of years. I mean, you see vintage clothing that's in better condition than stuff that's made today, certainly a higher quality. Um, and those products do demand a high price tag and they should because there's there's a lot of labor in the um, um, in the sharing of the wool, in the processing of the fabric, of the yarn, and of course, in the creation. You know how long it takes to knit something. So um, sadly, I don't think that that art form is well compensated for artists, but, um, but it should last the test of time if it's stored properly. That means keeping it in like a cedar chest where pests can't get to it. And um, I would try to keep it out of direct sunlight just because, you know, dust and light could make it difficult to clean and could uh, deteriorate it a little bit. Um, but I think crafts like that are can keep for a very long time. Same thing with quilts. Um, now, quilts, the more they get washed, the more they will um, they will break down. Obviously, they'll fade a little bit more. And if they're kept in in a bright sunlight, they will fade. If they're kept on a on a bed, like as a bedspread in a brightly lit room, they're going to fade and um become more more worn over time so if it's an heirloom quilt you may want to consider displaying it like you would a um, a painting you may want to put it behind um, behind glass a uv glass but that does seem a bit extreme i think for a small fiber art that would be that would be um very beneficial but for something large i think that kind of takes the tech tactileness away from it and almost lessens the art a bit. So again, it's something you need to consider. If you are a crafter that is storing fabric, you want to make sure that your fabric is not receiving direct sunlight. Uh, storing it in like my fabric, I don't have a lot of fabric on hand, but I do like to create using fat quarters. And um, I fold them on little, I fold them into the kind of little squares, kind of like how they come. And I have them in this uh, filing drawer, basically. It's uh, not a filing cabinet. It's just a shallow, they're shallow drawers. I fold them and stand them on their end, kind of um, Marie Kondo style. And then I can quickly see what I have and bring it out. And that is mostly due to my laziness. I don't want to have dust on my fabric. And, uh, but it does keep them from fading. Actually, my studio is in my basement, so I don't have any direct sunlight anyway, but it does keep the fabric in great conditions. You want to keep it um, away from pests. You want to keep it away from moisture. You want to keep it away from the sunlight. And then once you sew the thing with it, um, obviously keeping it somewhere where it's not going to get dusty and not going to get bleached out by the sun is a great idea. Scrapbook pages, obviously you want to make your scrapbooks to be enjoyed for generation to come because uh, I don't think that people are going to be scrolling through our Instagram accounts in 50 years, if Instagram's even a thing then, and looking at our old photos. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Plus, we are, our, our Instagram accounts are so full of things that aren't family photos that I don't know if they would be, um, you know, there'd be a lot of, of sifting through the everyday stuff to get to that picture or granny or your great uncle Ed, you know. So um, printing photos, I think, has a, uh, a real value and storing them in a scrapbook an acid-free environment is really important. Now your acid-free scrap of paper can fade. It also can deteriorate because it's generally wood pulp, but um, kept sealed in page protectors in a scrapbook, it is not going to happen anytime soon. It will be pretty well preserved. Even newspaper clippings that you found in like albums that have been sealed away from the environment, the oxygen and pollutants, they still are readable and they're still not bad. But what I do if I'm scrapbooking and I Obviously, I want my scrapbooks to be archival. I scan any newspaper um, clippings, any awards, anything like that that I want to preserve because I don't know what's printed on. And I print it out on acid-free cardstock. And I put that in page protectors. And um, even inexpensive office store page protectors, they're not going to have acid. They're not going to have um, lignin because they're not made from 
trees. So they should be fairly protected in there. Um, definitely much better than just sticking a, um, a newspaper clipping in one of those old magnetic uh, scrapbooks, you know, but you, you can go find those, you know, those black paper scrapbooks from back in the day, those were all acidic and people would tape them in there with cellophane tape and that would turn brittle, but still because they're closed in a book, most of those pictures are still around and you can still look at them and they're not completely faded because they've been protected from the light. Nowadays, using acid-free scrapbooking materials, you can be fairly certain that those scrapbooks that are kept closed on a shelf and only taken down to look at a few times a year, those are going to last as long as people, um, you know, keep them out of wet basements and you know they care for them reasonably well so uh we live in a wonderful time today when you think about the watercolorists of the 1800s when you think of um turner and Sargent, uh and all the impressionistic painters that would do their studies in watercolor those paintings have faded the paints weren't as good back then they weren't as archival but still they can be restored digitally and physically and we still get to enjoy those artworks today so my advice would be to you know, take some precautions to make sure your art's going to last reasonably well. Like, don't paint on the back of newsprint. And, uh, you know, I, I know some artists that paint on, like, you know, sulfite paper from drawing paper from Blick. I mean, I use that in my classes with kids because it takes so many different mediums and it's very inexpensive and I don't have to worry about wasting it. But it's not an acid-free paper. Have I seen it yellow on my shelf? Nope. It's it's held up really well, but it's not quote-unquote acid-free. But for something where you might be going through five sheets per child in a class, I think that risk is worth the um, the expense. But if I'm going to be teaching maybe, like I'm going to be teaching an adult or a high school is going to spend um, days on a painting, going to spend hours just working on one painting, it definitely pays to go for a con paper that is going to be more archival and to use more archival pigments. So, you know, don't, um, don't stress out about it too much. Just kind of keep it in your mind. How long is this going to last? How long does it need to last? And I think you're going to be fine. Another product that will last a long time if made with um, good materials is jewelry. So that's another thing to, to weigh your pros and cons. Are you making this jewelry to be an an heirloom piece? Or are you making this jewelry to sell for $5 at a craft fair? I'm thinking about my inexpensive ear earrings. Um, and you know, you price it accordingly. I don't think anyone buying a pair of $5 earrings are expecting them to, um, well, I mean, they'll last, they'll last in the jewelry box, but they might tarnish a bit. You're probably not thinking that you're going to wear those $5 earrings in 50 years. However, if you're buying some um, heirloom bridal jewelry, you're buying an engagement ring, something like that. Yeah, you expect that to last your lifetime and then be able to pass it on to your heirs. Uh, and it's the same thing with painting. I think you just need to keep reasonable expectations. And if you are doing some experimental things, just let the buyer know. You look at the work of like Basquiat, who that has become extremely valuable and is selling for millions of dollars. A lot of that is not archival. Look at the work of Banksy. Talk about experimental. The art destroys itself and it just sold for $28 million at Sotheby's. So, um, you know, I, I think we really get ourselves a little worked up in the archivability question. And another thing is I think worrying about our materials gives us an excuse not to create art. And um, I notice that a lot whenever I talk about pigment information, I'm just passing along some information. I find it interesting. But a lot of times when I'm doing these deep dives into my supplies and learning about pigment information, that's time I'm not painting. That is uh, me procrastinating painting and learning more about the supplies. Now, it's it's good. It's useful. But I think a lot of times when people are, are asking, is it light fast? What about this pigment? What do you think of this pigment? You know, I'm considering buying this brand versus that brand and this color versus that color. And I think you can get lost in the minutia of all of it. And it can be 
you avoiding making art. And that is not what I want to see happen when we're talking about pigments. I, I think that's really good information to know. We should know what's light fast and what isn't. But let me tell you, you can use a light fast collection of, you know, nine colors and paint pretty much anything you want to paint. You can get any shade that you want with those colors, a split primary palette, actually with six colors, your split primary palette. But the reason why we wanna add different colors, maybe for convenience, or maybe because they have textural effects that we really like, because they're made with certain um, minerals, either organic or inorganic or synthetic, that are um, that granulate or uh, flow really well. They just give us a, a, certain, a certain vibe and personality that we like. But as far as like matching a color and painting a painting, we can do it with a very limited amount of supplies. And I think lately, um, artists, myself included, have been a little obsessed with the materials more than the actual making of art. And when this archivability question comes up, I think a lot of it is, um, uh, is a bit of a distraction, a bit of a... Um, here's an excuse for me not to spend any time doing this because it might fade or because it might not be archived for 300 years. Honestly, think about it. After you're dead and gone, do you really care what happens to your art? You don't. You're gone. You're dead and gone. You don't care what happens to that art. You know, I think we we uh, suffer from delusions of grandeur sometimes, and we think, well, this this is important art. I got to do a good job on this. This is really important. This is gonna this is gonna be my legacy. Um, there's a lot of artists out there creating a lot of beautiful art. There's it's a really big pool, and there's no gatekeepers these days. Anybody can start a blog. Anybody can start a YouTube channel. Anybody can post their art online. Anyone can post their crafts online, and there are millions of people who do. So the chances, just just like law of averages, the chances of our art being relevant in hundreds of years is pretty slim. It's not like you know back in the the Dark Ages or even the Renaissance when population was a lot smaller. There weren't that many artists out there, and there weren't that many people that could devote their life uh, or that much time to making art. People didn't live as long. People didn't have as much time to develop the skill or the luxury of time to be able to pour into that skill. That's why you have those great masters, and there aren't a ton of them um, because you know they they. There any, how do I want to put this? There weren't that many people on the planet. So there weren't that many artists on the planet. So the ones that were creating and could devote that much time to it are remembered and their work is archived and their work is restored. And um, some of them had artists working for them that were also talented, but the credit went to that one artist because of the gatekeepers. There were few families that were wealthy enough to commission artists and they got to say what was created and what was in, in style and what was the um, what was the feeling and the look of the day. A lot of those were religious paintings because they were commissioned by the church. But again, they were these huge gatekeepers that only allowed a few people in. So those people that got let in became very famous. Now there aren't the gatekeepers. So there aren't going to be as many artists that, um, that are relevant after they're gone. And I know it's probably hard to hear, especially if you've devoted your life to your art. But it's also very freeing because if you're making every piece, every painting you do, if you're putting it on this pedestal like it is precious, how much experimenting are you going to do? How many risks are you going to take if you think every single thing is absolutely destined for destined for greatness and going to be viewed by the world and going to be precious? You're not going to do that much because you're going to psych yourself out. So um, with all this talk of archivability, yes, you can make your work last long and you should do what you can within reason to make sure you're creating artwork that's not going to disintegrate <laughs> when somebody buys it. But, um, but I think 
that if you put too much emphasis on it, you take a lot of the fun away, you take a lot of the spontaneity away and a lot of the creativity because a lot of the creativity in our art comes from the what if, what if I try painting with salt water? Well, how will that look at look compared to a painting I do with fresh water? And that's what I did in a live stream a few years ago. I painted the same painting with salt water and the same painting with fresh water. And then we got to compare them. Um, it's those wonderful sparks of what if that if we're worried about um, only creating super archival works and having to rely on all the testing and every and work that other people have done before us, if we don't step out on that ledge and jump, then we're not going to create new things. We're not going to develop new techniques. We're not going to um, find new ways that work and new ways that don't work. And it takes a lot of the fun away, at least for me. I enjoy that. And if you enjoy that too, don't get bogged down with the archivability of your work. Paint, have fun. It's art, guys. It's not life or death. And um, and I don't like seeing people not create because they're so worried that what they make might not last for 500 years. It doesn't have to, guys. It doesn't have to for it to be valuable now and for us to enjoy it now. Create and enjoy the process. That's something that we have lost. I, and I think it's it's lost even more now in the, in the age of social media and the ultra fast consumption of art. You know, you scroll through Instagram, you may linger on a painting for a couple seconds and you're on to the next thing. And so the person who created that art is aware of that and they are create, trying to create something new every day. They're so worried about the end product and the photographing it and the posting it. And I can say this because I am an artist who shares her work on Instagram. I can... I can say that is true for a lot of artists. It is true for me that sometimes I am not sitting and enjoying and taking the amount of time I want to take on something because I'm like, I've got to get this done today because I have to have something new tomorrow. And, you know, the the midnight oil is burning, time's wasting. I got to get it done because I'm so focused on the end result. And I think a lot of us are now. But enjoy the process. But the other thing is, if you are creating something every day, then what have you got to lose? If you try something and it works or it doesn't post it, move on to the next thing. Um, you can use that to your advantage, but you, you got to take risks. You got to, you got to enjoy it. You've got to always be trying something new or you'll get stale. Or if you're worried about something not lasting that long, you're not going to want to create anything because nothing's going to be good enough. It's like when you, um, and I liken this to being a scrapbooker and I go to a scrapbook store and I buy the most beautiful sheet of paper, but then no project ever was good enough for that paper. And that paper just sat in my drawer until it went out of style. And then it's like, well, I can't use this now because it's out of style. I could have used it and enjoyed it when it was fresh and new. And I could have inspired other people that also had that paper to use it and enjoy it. But no, it sat and it went to waste because nothing was good enough. And now the paper's not good enough for anything I want to do. It's the it's a cycle of precious. Don't get stuck in that precious spiral, guys. Don't get stuck in that spiral of perfection. Explore and enjoy the process. That's all I have to say for today. I guess we didn't talk about the archivability of art too much, but um, you can do more research on that if, if it's really important to you. But a lot of what you need to know is on your paint, paint tube. It's on the pack of paper you buy. And uh, if you keep that in mind as you're buying products and you only have archival products in your stash anyway, and you won't have to worry about it. So if that is important to you, just cut it off at the at the source. When you buy something, make sure it's uh, has a light fast rating that you're happy with. Make sure it's um, it has an archivability rating you're happy with. And then you won't have to worry about what's in your studio being archival or not. And you can enjoy the process because that is really what I want to get across to you in today's podcast.
I appreciate you listening to this. I hope it made your, your workout go a little faster. Maybe it made your house cleaning go a little faster. And maybe you learned something too, or hopefully got a little inspired to dig out your supplies and create and not worry whether they're going to be around for your great, great, great grandchildren um, or whether that art is. Uh, enjoy, have fun. And until next time, happy crafting. <laughs>